0: Thank you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're going to go into the Old Testament today. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to get right to it. And as you're turning to 2 Samuel, if you don't have your Bible, you can go to the One Chapel app and follow along there if you have a smartphone. But I'm going to explain a little bit of the series here. It's 2020 vision is where we're at, and it's used most commonly, obviously, to describe balanced eyesight seeing things clearly both near and far. So in this series, Pastor Ross has spoken a couple of times, and we've been focusing on what One Chapel is all about, on the core beliefs and values, the direction and vision. And what we understand about our church is that as it grows, as more people find community here, it's more and more necessary to revisit the things that we believe so that we're all on the same page because the truth is, is that We can't have the same vision if we don't have the same vision, right? If we're not seeing things the same way. And so uh, today I'm going to unpack the first of our three guiding values. They are here, presence, relationship, and mission. Most of you know those three words, and I want them to become common language for all of us, uh, that we would understand that we're a church that's presence-based, that we're relationally driven and mission-focused. So we're going to attack the first one of these. Presence, And we're going to do it from this vantage point that we are carriers of his presence. We are carriers of his presence. So we're going back to the Old Testament, to a story that really shapes carrying the presence of God for us in a unique way. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to pray and uh, just open the scriptures. So Father, I ask that you would come. Spirit, be here among us. We know that you are because there's more than two of us. And so come alive, come alive in our hearts, Father. I pray that ears would be open, that hearts would be softened. And Lord, that you would speak clearly through me, that as we dive into the word, it it would illuminate things about our lives that we need to change, illuminate things about our lives that we're doing well, that we're doing right. And so we honor you at this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. So we are carriers of his presence. This is an obvious connotation. That it means we carry him, right? That, that he lives in us, that we are vessels. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it on the screen. But there's a rhetorical question asked by Paul to the church at Corinth in Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? He's kind of saying, hey, come on. Live right. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Through scripture, there's several places that we could go to talk about being carriers of the presence of God. We could go into these these scriptures written by Paul who talked of the spirit of God often. We could even go back to Adam and Eve and, and the fall and the way the relationship with God changed there. But the Lord kept leading me over and over and over this week to 2 Samuel 6, to a story about a man named Obed-Edom. Some of you have read the story a thousand times. I had read the story a thousand times. And so I said, Lord, okay, if you want me to go here, if you want me to teach out of this, you're going to have to show me some new things. You're going to have to show me something new out of this passage. You're going to have to bring what's called Rama, a Rama word lifted up out of the page, a new insight for me. And so I feel like I got that in a few areas. And so I'm going to encourage you to you know, figuratively and maybe even physically, just be on the edge of your seat today, to engage, to take some notes, to follow along, to understand that there's really no point in us being here if we're not here, right, if we're not fully engaged. And so we're, here we are in Second Samuel 6, I'm in verse 1. says here that David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. The NIV describes it as 30,000, just matter of fact, 30,000. Some versions say all of about 30,000 or 30,000 in all. And I'm going to guess that it wasn't exactly 30,000, right? Think about it. Do you think King David stood there and went, okay, number off, one, two. I doubt that was going on. Verse 2 says, he and all his men went to Bala. In Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. This is the ark of the covenant that they're speaking of. Golden angels on top of it, holding the relics, gold plating everywhere. This is the ark that they're talking about. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it up from the house of Abinadab. Everyone say Abinadab. That will be the name of my first son. Not really which was on a hill, so his house was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, two great names as well, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, systems, and cymbals. I looked up all of these instruments this week and, uh, on good old Wikipedia, and there was a bunch of uh, icons that you could see. And you could see that most of them were percussive instruments. right? So the picture here is that David and all of Israel, 30,000 men, they're making a lot of noise. As they bring the ark of God down into this city. So it says here in verse 6, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down. And he died there beside the ark of God. What in the world is happening? To me, at first glance, as I read this, it seems like God just killed a man for seemingly trying to keep the ark from falling, right? I mean, if you read it differently, I'd like you to give me some insight. But at first glance, that's what I understand is that God just killed a man for really trying to protect the ark as it seems. But in order to understand what's really going on here, we've got to go back, okay? So we, the body of Christ, we're going to go back there to the Old Testament, back to the time that Israel is in the journey to the promised land, and they're setting up camp everywhere they go. Okay, so you and I, let's go back there together, way before electric cars and magic erasers. We are the people of God, and so we've set up camp. We wake up one morning to see the presence of God on the move. How did we know it was on the move? The Old Testament says that it was a cloud by day and a fire by night that they were guided. And we'd pack up and follow the priests who would carry the ark to our next destination. However, on this particular occasion, the priests come up with an innovative idea. They decide, hey, let's not carry it today. Let's put the thing on a cart and let the oxen pull it. It's left up to the imagination as to why they chose this, but If you know anything about the ark, it weighed about 400 pounds. So carrying it, and it says here that Abinadab's house was on a hill. And so they're coming down the hill to the threshing floor of Nacon. I can imagine they're saying, hey, this is pretty treacherous country. We really don't want to carry this today. Let's go the easy route. Put it on a cart. I know what God said, but this is better. Why not be innovative with the way to carry the presence of God? There's two problems. Number one... God's orders were for the ark only and always to be carried by the priests. Which was not happening here. Uzzah and Ahio were sons of a Levitical priest, but they were not priests themselves. Number two, the ark of God was only and always to be carried by the staves. The staves were poles that ran along the side of the ark of the covenant. Staves were wooden poles that were covered in gold, and they were to put the ark of God on their shoulders as to not touch anything on the ark that was anointed as holy by God. And so that wasn't happening here either. So the picture, again, is David and all of Israel shouting, dancing, clanging all their instruments together, and the ark on a cart was being pulled by oxen, and one of them stumbles. Uzzah reaches out, touches the ark, and on the spot, right there, God kills him. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, think about it. What if it happened today? In the presence of God, we're all singing a song. Maybe Nate's standing here leading us. And Eric, blessed Eric, he's playing bass over there, and Jay's playing the drums, and Jay's just crashing the trash out of this golden symbol that represents the presence of God. And the symbol begins to stumble and fall, and Eric reaches out to grab it, and Eric's dead on the platform. Sorry, Eric. I just killed you figuratively. And I know it's not really right for me to say the correlation between the Ark of the Covenant and the symbol, because they don't represent the same thing. The presence of God actually was on top. It it was where God lived in the Old Testament. But it's the picture that I want you to see, the the erratic, volatile behavior of what happened here. So continuing on in verse 8, everybody go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. In verse 8, it says, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means the striking of him. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? I read it through the message and it says, he said, uh, the ark of God was too hot to handle. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Edom for three months. The Lord blessed him and his entire household. So back to the word pictures. David's angry, frustrated, and quite scared, actually. He watched Uzzah die and is like, uh, uh check, please. I'd like out of this situation right now. He was frustrated scared he didn't want to have anything to do with the presence of God in that moment in fact he decided to take it over to Mr. Edom's house okay can you imagine that scene you open the door to the king of Israel the ark of the covenant which you knew should not be out in public like this normally behind a veil in the holy of holies at the tabernacle and Obed-Edom answers to the door to David the ark and 29,999 men Most of you don't. You're going to get that in about 30 minutes. (laughs) Little did Obed-Edom know that he had just made a decision that would change his life forever. Think about it. He invited God in. You and I, we invite God in, right? All the splendor of him. He became a carrier of the presence of God. I can imagine David saying, hey, bro, I'm going to leave it here. By the way, don't touch it. It's a dangerous item. I'm going to make four points, highlight four things from this passage that I think will help us live as carriers of his presence. Number one, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Come on, think about that. In light of Old Testament stories like this, I thank God that Jesus came to establish uninhibited access to the Father. There's no more carts, no more clouds and fire to follow around, no more priests with privilege access. The presence of God went from being rolled around on a cart and hidden behind a veil to abiding in you and me. Think about that. That same power went from all these do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. And now, where we go, he goes. Where we go, he goes. From a cart to your heart. That's what happened to the presence of God. In John 14, Jesus promises the Spirit to us. Okay, I want to read a couple of verses here, but I want you to see that the disciples only knew God because they walked with Jesus. Jesus had a home address. They had to go visit him. In order to be with him, they had to walk with him. Right? There were probably a whole lot of you had to be there moments with Jesus. Right? Man, you just healed this guy. You should have been there. You had to. Right now, the Holy Spirit's in us. He works through us. In John 14, here's the Spirit being promised to us. uh, Chapter 14 of John, verse 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides in you and will be in you. Say, "in in you. He is in you. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God is in you. It's what marks us as believers. Listen, this is why I find it so wild when people get so bent out of shape over separation between church and state. It's one of my soapboxes. You know people like this. You defriend them on Facebook. They get so bent out of shape. Did you hear Sally had to close her shop down. She had a cross collection on the wall, and she can't sell crosses out of there because she's in a wrong district, whatever the case may be. Separation between church and state. No more God in our schools, right? We are carriers of the presence of God. No amount of governmental legislation can change the amount of God in our country. Let me say it again. No amount of governmental legislation can change the amount of God in our country. Do you know who changes the amount of God in our country? You, me. Say this, every disciple, disciples. disciples. That's a message for us today. If you leave with nothing else, understand that when you go to work, you carry God with you. You say, oh, man, I'm not very nice at work. I'm actually not the same person as I am on Sundays, so I don't really want God to go with me to work, so I leave him home. No, you don't. He goes with you. He may not want to be with you, but he goes with you. This is why I'm so proud of the TAG students that are leading Bible studies in their school. Because there's no way that they can take God out of schools. He goes with them. I hear great stories about it. Where we go, he goes. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, right? Look, I talked to somebody the other day about moving from the theater. They, they came to visit when we were in the theater. They were from Colorado, and they came down again when we moved in here just a few weeks ago. And I was talking to them. I said, so what was it like? How was it different? And they said, it wasn't any different. They said, the body's bigger, more people. But the spirit is in the people, not in the building, Right? Pastor Ross talks about it all the time, that we are to be a church that makes secular places sacred, that that's what we aim to do, to be light in darkness, that everywhere we go, the Spirit of God lights things up. In some cases, he might burn things up, but we go with love, we go with honor into our communities, into our neighborhoods. Here's the second idea. Number two, reverence leads to reward. I want to pull this out of 2 Samuel. I feel like the Lord gave me this. I would, might, might say it, obedience leads to reward. Did you know that Obed-Edom was the only common man, the only non-priest to ever have full direction over the Ark of the Covenant? It was under his supervision. God entrusted it to him. Why did David choose him? Doesn't say. It would have been a pretty cool three months to have the presence of God in your house, right? I mean, think about it. The guys come over to watch a football game, and they're like, whoa, what is that? Oh, it's the presence of God. Don't touch it, by the way. Don't touch it. mess you up. We also see that King David came back for the ark specifically because he had received word of the many blessings that had come upon Obed-Edom. If you were to continue reading in 2 Samuel 6, and I'm going to challenge you to do that to read through all of 2 Samuel 6 and carry on because we're going to talk about how Obed-Edom's life was changed. This week, go back, go to 1 Chronicles 13. You can read the same story from a different vantage point. But Obed-Edom and his family received amazing blessing because of their reverence, their obedience. The Bible doesn't clarify exactly how those blessings played out, but the simple fact that the Word made it all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way back to King David, that makes it pretty significant, right? So if I let my imagination go again, I, I can just imagine what those blessings might have been. Maybe Obad edom was a man of little facial hair, and he had four or five little sprigly hairs hanging off of his chin. And every November, he would come to the Lord and say, Father, I really want to grow a mustache for Movember. But I know nobody's going to see it. It's like peach fuzz and only during the sunlight. But well, one morning he wakes up, bam, mustache from heaven all over Obedem's face. Some of you are laughing because you do, you have that. You're like, I'm growing, a, I'm growing a mustache from November. See it? See it? It's right here. Little gnarly mustache of yours. Maybe he went out to mow the yard and it was already done. Right? Presence of God is in his house. He's like, oh, man, i got to go mow the yard. Sometimes I go out there. I want to open the garage and be like, please be done already. (laughs) Maybe, uh, you know, he had eight sons. But if he had a daughter, maybe he's like me, and he'd wake up in the middle of the night, and he'd go upstairs to tend to his three-month-old daughter, half awake, half asleep. Actually, 70% asleep, 30% awake. And uh, maybe she, like, Her diaper's already changed, and she's holding her own bottle. Right? Go back to sleep, Dad. I got this. She's talking so young. I really don't know what the blessings were, but it specifically said that they made it back to King David. Another great thing that played out as a reward for Obed-Edom is that when he came back, listen to this. You're going to read this story. When he came back, Obed-Edom went with him. He didn't stay. He didn't stay in his house. All the blessings that had come come upon him had changed him. He followed the presence of God to Jerusalem. When David called for musicians and singers, you'll read that Obed-Edom raised his hand. He wanted to be as close to the ark as he could. When King David called for doorkeepers and gatekeepers, Obed-Edom made himself available and committed to it. He was always aiming to be as close to the presence of God as humanly possible. I want to aim like that. It was in him. The presence of God had influenced his priorities. I love this part of the story. It's what ignites the fire inside of me to live for God, to know that when he moves, I'm going to move with him. Whatever the spirit is doing, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to be in my shell. I want to be where he is. As Casey and I raise little Isla, I pray that she learns That obedience and reverence lead to reward. I know that it won't be easy, but I hope that she sees that anything that's calling for her attention, that's vying for her affections, that's not of God, I hope she understands that that's worthless. When I look at this picture, I can't help but think that I really pray, and I hope, I know it won't be easy, but I hope that my daughter loves coming to church, right? That she doesn't look at church as like, oh, great, I got to go. But it's an extension of her family, that she senses love here. I hope that when the presence of God moves, she moves with it. You know, I don't really know what her giftings are going to be yet. I have a feeling that they're going to be musical ones. (laughs) If they're not, it's cool. She'll be the president of the United States. That's just as good. (laughs) But I pray that when she realizes them, I pray that like Obed Edom, she makes herself available to serve the church, to be used by God, that the presence of God influences her priorities. And while I'm at it, I'm going to go ahead and pray that she has no interest in boys until she's 25. <laughs> That's the rules. Amen. Reverence leads to reward. Do you get that? You get that in your own life? Like, hey, I just, I just feel like uh, I can't get a break. Spend time with God. Not so that you can get a break. Obedium didn't say, oh, I'll take it because I know what's coming my way. He took the presence of God, all of its volatility and craziness. I mean, I'm sure King David was like, here you go. By the way, that guy over there, he just got killed by it. Have fun. He took it all. Number three, disobedience, sorry, irreverence leads to destruction. And I would say it like that. Disobedience leads to destruction. I'll use these words interchangeably for this passage. Irreverence leads to destruction. It's the obvious opposite to what we just talked about. Did you know that the reason that the Lord killed Uzzah is not hidden from us? We don't have to wonder about that part. It says in verse 7 that the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. It doesn't seem right, though, does it? I mean, as I read the story, I saw God kill a man for trying to keep the ark from falling. That was irreverent? I don't get it. But as I go deeper, well, actually, on the surface, I was like, Lord, why don't you kill the ox? Like, Kill that dumb animal, you know, like stumbling around carrying me. Seems that Uzzah was just trying to protect the ark, but as we go deeper, there's some backstory that we need to get about Uzzah and his relationship to the Ark of the Covenant. If you go in that passage to verse 3, The ark is being brought up from where? The house of Abinadab. Okay, Abinadab was a Levitical priest. It had right to be in his house. In fact, listen to this. It was in his house for some 20 years. It was in his house during the reign of Saul and on into the reign of David. And David finally said, hey, we got to go get this thing. So it's in the house of a priest. Uzzah is his son. Don't you think Uzzah would have spent a lot of time at his dad's house? Come on, you have kids. They don't go anywhere. They're always there, right? Always there. So, this would be a place that Uzzah spent a lot of time. I am certain that Uzzah was very aware of the reverence and respect that the presence of God demanded. Surely he knew that touching the ark was forbidden, that carrying it on an ox cart was not in God's design. These were not things that were hidden from him. So, here's what I wonder Did he forget or just excuse those details? Let me suggest that he didn't forget. Here's what I think. I think he just lost sight of the value of God. He lost sight of the value of the presence of God. And given the circumstances, I'm sure I would have done the same thing. Why? It's easy to forget how valuable something is when we have free access to it. Come on, go there. It's easy to forget how valuable something is when we have free access to it. You ever signed up for a free class? I bet you didn't care what grade you got. So got five sessions, okay, I'll go to all five sessions. Yeah, you made it to two late, right? You didn't pay for it. You didn't invest in it. If Uzzah fell to the tendency of irreverence back when access to God came with a bunch of rules and regulations, how much easier is it for us to fall to irreverence, to growing comfortable with the presence of God When we have full access to him at all times, covered by grace, new mercies every morning, no barriers or lists of do's and don'ts, it is easy to forget how valuable something is when we have access to it all the time. On Thursday night, we had a shindig at my house for the worship team, and I shared this idea with them as it pertains to what we do here on the platform. That as we lead worship, the more times we do it, for me, the past 14 years, at least once a week, my hope is that as a team, we never grow comfortable with just singing songs, right? That as a church, we never grow comfortable with just singing songs. Oh, it's that, it's that song up there. I can't stand that song. Oh, 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 right? <laughs> but that it becomes about reverencing God, right? That we would remind ourselves, hey, don't put God on an ox cart. Don't do things the easy way. Do them the right way. I shared that idea with them, and now I'm going to go a step further. Let's just imagine what our life would be like between the Sundays for a moment if we reverenced him with everything that we do. To help us evaluate the way we live our lives each and every day, I've got a few questions that I want to ask you, okay? And I'm going to ask them to myself, but I want to ask them to kind of help us give a compass for where we're at and where we're headed in life and who really has control. So here they are. Do I make specific time for God? Ask yourself that question today. Do you make specific time for God or do you just kind of catch him on the way to somewhere? I'll be honest, I I often do. My time with him is on my way to someplace else. I multitask my time with God. That's probably not good. Number two, do I know... When he's speaking to me. Do you know when he's speaking to you, when he's calling your name? If you don't, here's my challenge. Go back to number one. Spend some time with him, specific time. Number three, when he tells me to do something, do I do it? Number four, when he tells me not to do something, do I still do it? This is where guilt comes in, and we kind of continue to fall victim to sin over and over and over again, is because we can't answer these questions. It is about reverence, you know? It's about who has control, and that's the last question Am I in control or is God? Am I in control or is God? I'll bet Uzzah on that day would have liked to have it back. I'll bet you he would have liked to ask that question Am I in control here or is God? The scripture doesn't say that the ark, listen to this, the scripture doesn't say that the ark actually fell. It doesn't say that Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark and magically he saved it from hitting the ground. It doesn't say that. It doesn't even say that the ark was falling. Remember, this was the name of the Lord God Almighty. This is where God lived. It was where his presence resided. Don't you think the same God of the universe that holds all things together can deal with a stumbling ox? He doesn't need our help. God is interested in our obedience, not our help. He wants us to obey him, not try to do things for him. What happened to Uzzah that day was that he forgot the value of the presence of God. And when he reached out, he did something in his relationship with God that wasn't his job. Obedience is always best. Irreverence is taking things into my own hands and it leads to destruction. I manipulate things to go my way in the moment. We need to work at this as a church. I want us to be a community that's strong, that understands our position as servants of the Most High God, surrendered our lives. Listen, I'm trying to take the rocket science out of being a Christian this morning. We don't have to assume the right thing to do on most occasions, you know? You don't need to text your accountability partner and say, hey, I'm struggling. I don't really know what to do unless you know by your own will you can't handle it. But in reality, here's what you've got to realize. Ooh, I'm a carrier of the presence of God. We already know this. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Everyone say in you. Through the laying on of my hands, for the Spirit of God gave, uh, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Say that, Say power, power. Love, love and self-discipline. Come on, let's be a community that puts our shoulders back, that lifts our head and says, "I'm going to walk in power. I'm going to walk in love and self-discipline. I'm not going to be timid, I'm not going to cower away from the things I know I can't do. But the God that's in me is big and strong. In fact, the one that's in me is, is greater than he that's in the world. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of God does what? He raises up a standard against him. So we go through our days and we make mistakes. Here's number four. This is where the hope comes in. Thank God for second chances. Amen? You ever needed a second chance? I have this morning. Casey's getting ready and trying to get Isla out the door. I didn't do a very good job of helping her. I need a second chance. So I showed up here this morning. I was like, listen, babe, I'm so sorry. She's like, don't be sorry. She's so nice. (laughs) But we need second chances. If you follow King David through the rest of this story and what he did, did you know he was the one called a man after God's own heart? But he needed second chances and third chances and fourth chances. When David had thoroughly messed things up, he always did what? He always came back to the presence of God. Read through the Psalms. I've messed up. I've made things worse and worse and worse. But God, here I come running to you. We've got to run to God. Note to self, don't put him on a cart. Carry him. Right? Right? Look at Psalm 51. This is right after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And this is his cry. Psalm 51 in verse 1. This is David crying out. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And here's the verses we all know. Create In me a pure heart. In fact, come on, let's say this together. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Good prayer, huh? Create in me a pure heart, O God, What's happening here is second chances. He's restoring. He's renewing. Thank God for second chances. You can hear the angst in David's voice. Because as that story went, David could have left the ark there forever. But he came back for it. You know what David understood? He understood that his life was worthless unless God was in it. It was very apparent to him and as you read through that psalm, even. I was sinful, even in my mother's womb. In other words, I have nothing until you come and invade my soul, take over my life. That's what gave his life value. In the same way, the value of our seemingly simple lives is quantified when the unique qualities are pointed out. You are one of a kind. If you get nothing else today, get that, that God is in you, that he makes you something you cannot be on your own. Did you know that God is in the person sitting next to you? Maybe. Some of you are like, oh, no, he isn't. For all who repent and believe, he's in them. The big G God is in us. It's what separates us as believers. It's what makes Christianity more than a religion. A relationship with God true and forever. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 on the screen here. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Listen, the value that we have, do you see the word picture here? Treasure in jars of clay. What this is talking about is that as a jar of clay in itself, there's really no value to that. It's breakable. Usually a lot of flaws in a clay jar. It's not ornate. There's no detail. But what happens is treasure goes into it. That treasure is the spirit of God. And what happens when that treasure goes in is that no matter what we go through, he sustains us. Be reminded today, as faded or as broken you might feel, no matter the heartache, no matter the season of lack, no matter the bumps in the road, you're a carrier of the presence of God. On your worst day, in your worst moment, you're a carrier of the presence of God. When there seems to be no way out, you're still a carrier of the presence of God. When someone tells you you'll never make it, You're still a carrier. When the world seems to be crashing down on you, you're a carrier. Do you know that? We know it today. I know it today. But if I'm honest, there's times where I kind of want to do things my way. I forget. I put God on the ox cart. But I need to learn to live in reverence to God, to know that the reward is there for me. Every time we win a battle of sin, every time we win a battle of begrudging relationships, the cycle gets larger. We, the, the, the Spirit of God becomes so strong and alive in us that the devil realizes, hey, if I go back there, I'm wasting my time. Don't you want to be that kind of Christian? Right? We want to live that way. Why? Not so that we can gloat, but so that we can say, hey, I'm still a clay jar, but the presence of God is alive in me. Amen? I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to talk to two groups of people really quick. The first group of people that I want to talk to are the ones that were having trouble answering those questions. The ones that I went through earlier. I'm going to ask them to you again. Everybody in the room with your eyes closed and your head bowed. I'm going to ask these questions to you again. I want you to think about the honest answer. Number one, do I make specific time for God? If you don't, Make a commitment to do that today. You won't regret it. It'll change your life forever. Specific time for God. Number two, do I know when he's speaking to me? Are we listening for the voice of God? Are you listening for the voice of God? If you don't know what he sounds like, go back to number one. Number three, when he tells you to do something, do you do it? When he tells you not to do something, do you still do it? Are you living in rebellion or reverence? Or are you writing the fine line on a daily basis? Are you in control or is God in control? That's the big question. And so now, with your eyes closed, I just want to pray over you. Everybody in the room, I'm going to pray a prayer that would help us lift. So maybe just right where you're at, if you'd put your palms up just in your lap maybe, and I just want you to receive this prayer. Spirit of God, come and break the strongholds that cause us to want to do what we want to do. Spirit of God, break the strongholds that cause us to neglect you, to look on what we want to do. Father, for the spiritual traps, for the sinful traps that we continue to roll over and over and over and over again, I pray that you would break those in the name of Jesus. Father, for the person sitting next to us on the left and right, I pray that you would help us know how to guide them, how to be there for them. And Father, not for our own gain, but so that we can disciple others, that we would be strong in you so that we can do a work on the earth for your name. And so now I want to pray for one more group of people here, and that's those of you that don't have a relationship with God. You're searching your heart right now, and you want to make a declaration today, maybe for the first time, Or maybe for the first time in a long time You want to come back to God And so what I'm going to ask you to do Is real simply just to raise your hand Right where you're at Raise it high I see that hand Anybody else here You want to come back to God You want a relationship with Him That's real That's honest That's true That you want the treasure To come into that jar of clay That is your life I saw that hand Anybody else I see that hand Okay, church, all together, I want us to say this prayer. I want you to repeat after me. And we're going to pray this as a confession for the way we live our lives every day. This is just a recommittal on our part to say, God, I belong to you. So say this after me. Say, Dear Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Say, Dear Jesus, my life is yours. My future is yours. Come live in my heart. I repent of my sin. I turn from my ways. And I take your will, your good, perfect will. So Jesus, I give it all up. I surrender to you to live in your freedom every day. In Jesus' name, amen.